Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm Silas Brown, the Leverage Finance and Private Credit Editor. Each week we're bringing you some of the most interesting stories from the world's capital markets. This week we're pondering the ECB's Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme, or the PEP. This 1.85 trillion euro bond buying programme has done much to help the Eurozone sovereigns meet the elevated borrowing requirements brought about by the pandemic and lockdowns. But it is slated to end in March next year, and that means people in the bond markets are already worrying about what will happen to the value of their holdings when such a huge buyer stops buying. But this is a central bank bond buying scheme after all. They never really end, do they? This week, what were described as the ECB sources were punting around an idea to replace the PEP with another scheme to help keep borrowing costs low. We'll be discussing the merits of that proposal and also whether the real merit was just having the ECB sources air the proposal in the first place. And speaking of Europe's support for pandemic-stricken sovereigns, um, we'll also be discussing Poland's spat with the EU, which took a rather antagonistic twist last night. And to discuss all of that with us, we're joined by Lewis McClellan, our Sovereign's Supranationals and Agencies editor, who has also been covering the Central and Eastern European bond market this week. Uh, Hi, Lewis. First of all, the PEP. What's the proposal to replace it when it expires in March that came out this week? So the proposal that's come out this week is that uh, the ECB, rather than buying bonds according to the capital key, would simply buy bonds just uh, as it deems necessary to preserve financial stability. Um, Just to be clear, what is the capital key? The capital key is the ECB's measure of uh, the size of the European member states' economies. So uh, Germany has a very large economy. It buys a lot of, uh, of German bonds. You know, Slovakia, Slovenia, some of the smaller countries have much smaller economies and, and uh, the ECB purchases much, much less of their bonds. Um, and how likely are these plans actually to occur? I mean, I'm, I'm less of an expert than you on the ECB, but I, as a spectator, there are often a lot of policies flying around that are never actually enacted. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it's fair to say that this is... Um... Uh, a trial balloon, as they say, this has been an idea that they've floated to to gather market reaction. You know, the, the community of of ECB watchers, uh, economic analysts, and so on, will discuss it, uh, and the ECB will watch those discussions, and and to an extent that will inform their their policy. I don't think it is uh, a very likely policy. Um, that kind of discretion, giving the ECB that discretion to to buy bonds as it sees fit, without giving uh, proper guidance as to what people can expect uh, would be very unpopular uh, with, uh, well, there's, al- there's always been political opponents to quantitative easing um, from, you know, the more hawkish countries like Germany and Austria. Uh, this type of, you know, the defense for the current quantitative easing uh, arrangement is uh, that it's even-handed and that's because it sticks rigidly to the capital key. It, removing that would uh, would kick up a huge fuss. Presumably, there would be some opposition to that scheme because it would 
increase the amount of moral hazard potentially um the countries that need the most support uh would not really be encouraged to i don't know manage their government budgets as closely and watch their yields as closely if the ecb was buying more of their debt than others is that yeah. what people are worried about yeah i think that's uh that's a big part of it certainly i think the only the only possible way uh that the ecb could enact a scheme like this would be to have uh some some strict uh rule-based uh, rule-based approaches in place. If it's simply a matter of, you know, the ECB uh, doesn't clarify what what spreads it wants to see between EGBs, but but buys um, buys at the discretion of the governing council or or however uh, they want to do it, that I don't think is a is a sustainable or or equitable uh, way to run the monetary policy for the bloc. I'm presumably people in capital markets are worried about market dislocation after the removal of PEP. But I mean, quite how worried are they? Well, I mean, I think it's a, I think it is definitely a very worrying prospect. You know, the uh, <clears throat> when PEP was introduced in, uh, you know, early 2020 in the in the heat of the coronavirus, the effect was absolutely incredible. You know, the the tightening effect that it had even before uh, even before there was any purchasing done, just the announcement of it was this huge huge support for the market and and you know, kicking that crutch away is is a worrying prospect. I think the fact is um, people on, you know, the the capital markets coalface are, they would be worried about the removal of PEP, except for the fact that there's a huge degree of confidence that the ECB shares those worries and will take steps to, to mitigate uh, market dislocation. You know, so that, that's to say market dislocation is a very real possibility if PEP were to be removed uh, raw, but it's unlikely that, that will happen. And I think the fact that this proposal has come out indicates that, you know, there are figures within the ECB who are extremely concerned about that and are creating plans to to mitigate those effects when, when it happens. I thought the timing was interesting too. It's uh, of all the weeks to come out, it's come out on a sort of middle of a bout of volatility and rising yields. Uh, that can't yeah. be a coincidence, can it? No, you're right. And and it's something that we've uh, we've seen we've seen the ECB do before, you know, early in the year when the when the reflation trade uh, was was causing yields to rise. Um, you know, it was it was led by US yields, but it was dragging up uh, European yields. Uh, you know, we saw similar comments from the ECB and, you know, ensuring that everyone knows that they are uh, committed to preserving what they call favorable financing conditions, which is basically ensuring that uh, European sovereigns remain solvent and have access to capital markets at, at comfortable borrowing costs. Well, I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? And I think you made that point um, excellently in your opinion piece on this, which is it's probably not the detail of the proposal uh, that's important. It's more the timing and the fact that they are mooting suggestions and ideas to keep yields low. That shows their real intention, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, the fact is this would be a, a, a very radical step uh, for, for European monetary policy if they were to if they were to introduce something like this. And the fact that that sort of thing is uh, under consideration at all is is reassuring for market participants, I would say. So what do you think will happen in March? I know that people that our colleague Burhan Kadbai spoke to about it this week thought that such a such a a new scheme or a new version of PEP or post-PEP or whatever you want to call it 
wasn't really necessary. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think there's there's good reasons to to say that. I mean, the the asset purchase program, or and you know more specifically the public sector purchase program, which has done the the bulk of the heavy lifting until until PEP uh, appeared. Um, it will certainly be retooled. Uh, they are running into issuer limits and things like that because of what's been bought under PEP. Uh, and, um, you know, the public sector purchase program was always tied more rigidly to the capital key than, than PEP. Uh, so these are the sorts of uh, tools you can add to an asset purchase program uh, that, that will allow it to be something that they can just continue doing, uh, well, more or less indefinitely. Uh, Coming up with a whole new program, I think, would be a political move by them. It's a, it's a statement that, you know, we've moved out of the, the pandemic, that we've moved out of the crisis phase, and we're into, you know, the, I imagine they'd come up with a, a recovery-based name for it. Um, but uh, certainly, there's no need to launch a whole new program uh, to just to achieve a particular level of bond buying or a particular level of, uh, of flexibility that's something they could do with existing programs but in a sense because because guidance is so important for the ecb their their labels and their messaging uh is very important to them so uh that that would be the reason to to launch a new program as far as i can see it i'm i'm often reminded of the mario draghi line um that we will do whatever it takes to save the euro and i, I listening to you um, speak about the way that the ECB kind of floats ideas in the public square, much like uh, you know politicians in the UK are accused of, um, of of floating ideas out through selected journalists. Um, I find it kind of confusing, or certainly I'd have thought, um, in a way, perhaps I have too grand a, um, a view of the ECB, but um, you'd have thought it's a kind of uh, it's a kind of odd way of of a kind of easing market uh, market opinion and volatility, but also perhaps just testing the waters for these these sorts of programs. Well, just look at the effect that that uh, comment Draghi made had. Um, it had the effect of spreading confidence throughout the market, such that the uh, in the short term, ECB didn't have to do anything. Um, obviously, it did. It brought in the various schemes it was talking about at the time to save the euro and so on. Um, and I guess, I guess this week's this week's uh, comments or proposals allow it to moot an idea, show it supporting the markets, or show it supporting sovereign borrowing, borrowing costs, but without having to combat the frugal four or uh, deal with German constitutional court decisions or get member states to ratify every decision or whatever else might be needed yeah in a way it sort of preserves that grandeur because um they can talk about some some quite radical ideas that uh i mean if 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 lagarde had uh, had come out suggesting something like this there would be a huge political fight immediately but this this allows them to to get an idea into the public discourse uh, underline their commitment to supporting the market, but uh, not not take all the flack because it's uh, it's an anonymously sourced idea. Yeah, so it's a sort of mini Machiavelli um, without actually having to be Machiavellian about it. Sorry, Miniavelli. Yeah, exactly. Macroevelli. Speaking of sovereign support by European institutions. 
there's been a big spat between Poland and the EU about uh, whether it can receive next generation EU funding to fund its way out of the pandemic. Um, there's been a debate about the precedence of the rule of law. Uh, and last night in Poland, there was a court decision related to that. Uh, Lewis, can you bring us up to date? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Poland having spats with the EU is uh, is not is not new. Um, they've the EU has uh, opened infringement proceeding proceedings against them for uh, LGBT discrimination, and uh, they've got similar procedures in, in Hungary uh, around uh, rule of law. Essentially, the thing is that um, the the introduction of the next generation EU program. Uh, gave the the European Commission some more teeth in this respect. Infringement proceedings are, are time consuming and and uh, and, and difficult, uh, but the uh, Poland and Hungary. But when the Next Generation EU program was introduced, uh, the the European Parliament campaigned to include a conditionality mechanism on uh, adherence to the rule of law. Uh, so that means that you're not supposed to be able to get uh, get the recovery and resilience facility cash from the European Commission unless uh, you're adhering to, to the rule of law, to, to Europe's satisfaction. Um, there is still a European Court of Justice um, uh, verdict to be rendered on that, but uh, that that's almost certainly going to be upheld. Uh, Poland is, um, I think it's fair to say, flaunting its disregard for European rule of law um, at this point. the uh, Its constitutional court is um, not really uh, a, an independent institution. Uh, it's it's uh, towing the line laid down by uh, the Polish government, essentially, uh, which is that the Polish constitution uh, stands above European law uh, and where they're in conflict, the Polish constitution uh, is uh, takes primacy, and that that will be extremely extremely uh, upsetting to Europe. It's in flat contradiction of the European legal order, and I think it's it's very difficult to see uh, the European Commission and Council uh, ratifying uh, Poland's national recovery and resilience plan. It's very difficult to see them receiving any of the next generation EU funds at this point. Uh, but really, this could go this could go a long way beyond there. We're we're moving towards a territory where Poland leaving the EU seems like a, a more likely result than not. Uh, are Poland's bonds suffering as a consequence of this decision um, yet? And do you expect them to suffer in the future if this carries on? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that it will have an effect on the on the Commission's funding program. Poland is supposed to receive uh, 36 billion uh, from the European Commission, uh, 24 billion of, of loans, and 12 billion of of grants. Um, so that's presumably money that if if Poland uh, continues down this path, that the Commission will not have to raise. Some of that money Poland may raise on its own account, but uh, perhaps not all of it. What's the EU Commission said about this so far? So the Commission uh, has uh, just given a statement saying that they assert the primacy of EU law over the law of member states. Um, they will. They've not. Uh, they've not officially decided anything about 
you know the recovery and resilience facility or, or what this will mean they're just uh analyzing and will, and will take next steps but uh the european parliament which uh typically takes um uh a feistier line on these questions. Uh, David Sassoli, who's the, the president of the, the European Parliament, has said that they, um, they're essentially calling on the European Commission to, to act. They've said that uh, it's the, the verdict cannot remain without consequences. So, um, you know, they call it a challenge to a funding principle of the European Union, which it is, to be fair. So, Fundamentally, though, uh, challenging the EU on the precedence of rule of law. I mean, that's a bit more than about distributing cash, isn't it? That's that's a, a, a much, much bigger problem if other countries decide to take the same line as Poland and Hungary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, this isn't good for uh, for Polish assets, and and that's an immediate problem. But uh, if this uh, is not immediately stamped down on by uh, by the European power structures and it's something that spreads through Europe, then uh, the EU will be in, in a very shaky situation. Well, certainly whatever the ECB and the EU do next stands to have a huge impact on the government bond market in the next few months. Uh, thank you to Silas and Lewis for joining me for the podcast and to Gerald Hayes, our producer, for editing it and putting it together. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. It's free. We do a new episode every Friday afternoon, and that appears on all the major platforms. Just search for Global Capital on any of them and you'll find us there. Um, also, do get in touch. We have an email address and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, the address is podcast at globalcapital.com. And finally, if you liked the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on wherever you listen to it. Uh, that will help us spread the word and get the podcast to other people dying for a bit of capital markets audio action every week. In the meantime, we'll be back with more stories from the capital markets next week. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.